0: Welcome back to the Bearable Traders Podcast. It's been a while since we've had a new interview and I'm very happy today to say that we're uh, starting off with a bang. We're interviewing Jack Schwager and his new book, Unknown Market Wizards, The Best Traders You've Never Heard Of. We'll talk about his book. We'll talk about his views on the current market and give you some tips on trading. Should be a great interview. So, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone listening to this podcast. It's Peter with Bear Bull Traders here on A Talk With Traders. Very happy to have with me today the legendary Jack Schwager. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much. Um, And uh, for those of you that don't know, and I don't know why you wouldn't, but Jack is the author of over a dozen books on trading trading, traders and technical analysis. He has 10 years as a partner in a hedge fund advisory firm, 22 years as a director of futures research for some of Wall Street's leading firms, and is the co-founder and chief research officer for Fund Cedar, which uh, finds undiscovered talent for trading worldwide. So uh, once again, welcome, Jack, happy to have you. You've been, you've been busy over the last little while. <laughs>
1: yeah, I try to keep busy.
0: There you go. Now we're here because his latest book is The Unknown Market Wizards, The Best Traders You've Never Heard of. And uh, I've got a copy right here. It's a great read, great book. And we'll talk about it a little more at the end, but you should pick up a copy for yourself. Um, and in it, um, he interviews traders as he's done sort of over the last, I don't know, about uh, about 30 years now. Um, I noticed that you split between futures and stock traders. And at Bearable Traders, we have like traders of all ilk. We primarily, I would say, focus on stocks, but we have futures traders, Forex, and pretty much everything in between. I'm curious from your perspective, uh, what do you favor? Do do you prefer one sort of asset class over another? It's ironic you ask that question because
1: basically I've mostly been in futures, so almost 90% plus. Ironically, this year I find myself trading stocks mostly. I don't know what the explanation for that is, but, uh,
0: so uh, stock trading was always crazy. a crazy time up. to trade stocks.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've, there have been times like, um, you know, uh, late 2008, early 2009, you know, I thought it was like a, um, I thought I was seeing a classic, classic, uh, you know, cratering, uh, uh, which, which were values were like great, ridiculously low. So that got me interested in stocks. I mean, that was one time I've maybe traded more stocks than futures, uh, uh, but it's the first time in a while that I've done that. So right now, I actually have very, almost very few futures positions. I'm mostly in stocks.
0: Well, it can't help but watch stocks, especially in the last week or so, with all the craziness that's happening with GME, GameStop, and uh, uh, AMC movie theaters. It, it seems like uh, we're seeing yeah. a little bit of a change in the markets. Mm-hmm
1: you know, looking at some of those comments, I'll tell you, I, I, just ridiculous, you know, like going to a thousand, let's go to 2000. It's like, uh, don't let's hold, you know, it's all this emotional stuff about, you know, sticking it to people and, you know, that's not the way you're going to win in the markets. I mean, I was thinking of that. It just, it just I, I, in fact, I, I uh, on my Twitter, on my tweets, there was one I, I for uh, I retweeted one, which was like a great quote. But the basic end of that quote was, it was like the whole thing in one sentence, a long sentence. But the end of the sentence was, and it's the end of a lot of people losing a lot of money. And I thought that was like, uh, and this was when it was still like 400 or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Jack, we were just talking about this this morning. And as I said, their, their big line is hold the line, right? They're asking everybody to hold the line. The problem with that is that's a great strategy. If you're the general, you want the troops in the front to hold the line, but the grunts are on the front line, they usually get slaughtered. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's all well those people who followed, you know, people who came in at 200, 300, 400.
0: Yeah. You know, it's like... Uh, it's um, I, this is
1: actually one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. I've been around for a long time.
0: You know, I I personally feel it's the way the markets were sort of intended to operate. All the calls that this is uh, you know unfair market manipulation by those that are coordinating over social media. I, I personally don't have a problem with it. In the end, like you said, the problem is people don't really understand the nature of how things are going to balance out. And like you and like you just said, those that get in at two and three hundred, they're the ones I'm most afraid of because they're thinking they're on this rocket ship. Um, and look yeah, at today, right? Right? It, right now, it's trading at 108. So yeah, it's a... yeah it,
1: it turned into politics instead of trading, and you know. And, and I saw like AOC. I know your audience. You're Canadian, I think, right, Peter? Yeah. Is Your audience yeah. in the US or both, or, is it US uh, or also or just well? For those who are Canadians, AOC uh, is kind of the extreme left wing on the Democratic Party. The representative and Ted Cruz, who's kind of the extreme end of the right wing on the, you know, really got the two, two really extreme ends of the US system. And they're both both complaining about what's going on, you know, like, yeah, uh, it's unfair. So, whenever you, whenever you can see the two of them agree on anything. Boy, you
0: know other sides, right? <laughs> you know there's a problem when they're agreeing eh? <laughs> well yeah i i am canadian but uh we have traders from around the globe here it amazes me every day i get to talk to people who are actively trading with us from everywhere from the uk to india to thailand to australia and of course throughout the us and south america as well so yeah they're all over the place um well, you know, sort of talking about that and the changes in the market, I mean, you've been you've been writing books where you've been interviewing traders for almost 30 years now since the original publication of Market Wizards in 1989. So I guess that's a little over 30 years, in fact. It's over 30 uh, years, yeah. Over 30 years. Um, I'm curious, though, from your point of view, have you noticed sort of a change in the temperaments or maybe the strategies that traders in your most recent book have used compared to previous? Like, is, is there any sort of market shift, or is it just a constant evolution, or are you seeing a lot of the yeah, same the markets?
1: Yeah, the markets have changed dramatically. I mean, think about it. Um, you know, when I was early in the business, uh, I could still remember, actually, I'm so old, I can remember my first job uh-huh. on, on Wall Street coming out of graduate school, where they had those the large board, which would, I don't know, oh, yeah. they used to like, make these clicking noises when the prices yeah. changed. and. Uh, it was really high tech then, but it's like funny. And of course, no, we were way before PCs and even computers were like, filled a room to do simple calculations. And you go from that to where we are today, yeah, you know, and data, you know, like all the data that's right. out there. And, uh, so the tremendous move in technology and um, quantification, which has been made possible by, by technology. Uh, so that's a big shift. You, well, Floor, you know, we traded Floor, Floor trading. You know, now it's, you know, that, that's that gone. Now now it's basically gone. Now it's electronic trading. So really big differences. Now, the the most amazing thing in this book was, talk about changes in technique and, and approaches, an approach that would not have been possible, but there's one trader in this book. Well, let's back up a minute. I always took for granted, like, you know, uh, you know, you flip a coin; it could be heads or tails. You know, you don't think about there's well, there's a third possibility; it could land on its side. Not realistically. <laughs> um, there, I always took for granted. I mean, I never even thought about it. I said, well, you you could use fundamentals, some sort of fundamentals, or you could use some sort of technical, um, or you could use some combination of two. But what the hell right. else is there? Turns right. out there is something
0: else. Right. It so so enter Chris Camillo, right?
1: Enter Chris Camillo, who. Who, who dislikes fundamentals and dislikes technical, and ended up using a completely different approach? Which, um, for those listeners uh, scratching their head, well, what the hell is there? Well, it's social media, and so he trades strictly on social media. And um, you know, developed a pretty sophisticated. In fact, built a whole company to develop the software for it. He did it manually, and he still does a bit manually, I suppose. So uh, that's interesting. I mean, you have, a, you have a methodology that is completely outside of what was considered the universe of market analysis until, you know, I mean, well, he started doing it back, I guess, in the, um, you know, before 2010. So, But it was only, only in modern times that it became possible.
0: Yeah, and I, I loved his strategy because you're right. It was so different where he 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 said, I, I don't really care what the fundamentals are. He looks at how it's trending on social media and actually uses the number of mentions, the type of mention, the the, the tone of what's happening completely to decide his trading strategy. And he says, I don't
1: know. Relative, relative to historical similar episodes, how unusual it is, yeah."
0: right and I think he said in your book he, he didn't even he doesn't even worry about what the price is or what the the chart history is he's just it's like yeah. <laughs>
1: it's all out of the timing of that yes yeah, so doesn't make a difference what the chart looks like he's he's getting in on this reason and when that reason changes or when he believes what he sees early in social media is becoming disseminated like in the expectation of earnings or let alone earnings itself uh, that's when he gets out he gets you know. When he feels the news is starting to to be known
0: right right well that's obviously a very unique style and actually that's one of the things we talk about at bearable traders all the time is finding your trading style and i know you draw the same conclusion in your book uh pretty much every one of the traders you interviewed had a very different path to finding their own style in fact some of the traders um you know uses a you know one trader may use a style uh that another one says they'll never ever touch um you know Mm -hmm. there's as a key style, an example was Jeffrey Newman in your in your book who ta- uh, trades penny stocks. And we advise our traders never to trade penny stocks. But, you know, it works for him. He's found a style that works for him. There's other traders that it seemed like it took a long time to find their style. I, um, uh, Shapiro, uh, Jason Shapiro, whom you interviewed, yeah. said that I think, I think he got fired from at least three or maybe four different jobs in the industry before he finally figured out the contrarian strategy that ended up working for him. Any tips to offer traders who are out there saying, Well, I don't I have no I don't know what my style is. How do I find my style?
1: Yeah, experiment, basically. <laughs> basically. Um, you know, I speaking personally, uh, you know, I started out coming from an economics education background, skeptical, uh, or highly skeptical of technical anything to do with technical analysis, you know, sort of being, hey, you know. How could this, these charts and all this, you know, head head and shoulders, all this crap. You know, that was my attitude, you know, that couldn't be, couldn't work. And uh, came from that attitude, you know, and just looking at fundamentals to where I I basically don't use fundamentals hardly at all. Um, And, you know, for some, for a long time, I'm purely technical. So I think you have to basically discover what you're comfortable with, you know, and I, in my own Journey. I kind of had reasons why technical analysis felt comfortable, and fundamental analysis didn't. Uh, it, but I still interviewed lots of people who were purely fundamental and and had complete disdain for anything to do with technical charts, and and were very successful. So it really depends on on what works for you. Right.
0: Yeah, well, and and, I mean, as you said, what works for you, and everybody's got such a different background and experience, it's tough figuring out uh, what what works for you, I I think. And that's where a lot of people I know struggle.
1: Um, It's not necessarily
0: the first thing you try. That's an
1: important point because you may start out with something, you have to be open and flexible enough to realize that that particular approach may actually not be what you're geared for. And you have to be ready to totally abandon it. So it is a matter, sounds like a cliche, but, you know, self-discovery in that sense.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? That fits, too, because we, we say that trading, technically, I honestly believe that trading is relatively easy. Psychologically, trading is extremely difficult, and mastering yourself is, is the core to being successful over the long term in trading, um, which, again, you know, makes me think of a lot of the traders in your book where they would start... Well, here I trade personally a lot of short term, and a lot of our traders trade like intraday, right? We start day trading. But I noticed in your book a lot of the traders um, may have started doing intraday trades, but it seems like most of them progressed to longer time frame frames as their careers progressed and their accounts grew. Um, you know, I, I guess have you is that a trend you've noticed? And what time frame would you recommend to people aspire towards in a trading journey?
1: Yeah, well, what you mentioned is is more like I guess a typical example I can think of somebody like uh, Richard Barge in the book who was basically trading um, just like day, you know, like an event that occurs during the day and get in and be out by the end of the day or you know whatever. But basically, discovered that um, you know it makes sense to hold part of the position because a lot of times those trades are good longer term. Uh, the size he takes on the initial trade. Maybe too large to hold, um, but it still. doesn't, you can do both. You can trade party, You can you can do the the initial part, and when you have a and then keep a tail end. And he's not the only one. I have a couple of traders mentioned doing exactly that. So that's a common thing. Is is you may take a larger position, and if you get a quick profit, if you're right, taking that and holding whatever you're comfortable with, while you know for a longer term. Without much risk in sense, because you already have this big cushion. Um, as far as what's right, that's that's part of that's like do you use fundamental or technical or both? It's do you trade? Do you trade? Do you, trade, do you hold a position for months or years, even? Or do you hold it for just a day? I mean, that's a kind of that's a personal that's a personal thing. Um, I think being flexible in in the idea of having you don't hold it very long if you're wrong, but you hold it, you know, <laughs> the world, Basically, the, the
0: general philosophy that would work better. Yeah, absolutely. Cutting your cutting your losers short and letting your winners run. Right. That that's tough. Well, I
1: mean, Actually, it, true.
0: Well, and you know what? That directly leads to something I wanted to ask you about the two sides of patience. Uh, you, you talk about that in your conclusions about the two sides of patience about waiting for the right trade and then the patience to stay with a good trade. Uh, you know, because I fully agree that both are essential and to one degree or another, um, you need to be able to master those in order to be successful. Um, none of the stories, though, gave me the answer as to how the heck do you develop patience. I mean, I've had to figure it out for my own, but it's one of those where I, I always struggle with that one. You know, Jack, maybe maybe you can help me there. How do I tell somebody? How do you develop patience?
1: So I'm a good person to speak on it because I'm very impatient. You know, this <laughs> one I tell you you don't want to be with me in a traffic jam. I just, I just you know, we and you know before iPhones, uh, I remember if I ever I would always carry around a Time magazine or whatever because I have to wait on a line like a bank, or whatever. Really? I would have something to read. You know, now it's now you have an iPhone, so it makes it easy. Um, so yes, I'm not a patient person, and that's there are a lot of reasons why I'm a lousy trader. Um, I mean, I I make money on balance, but just because I know enough to to, to win, you know, I follow my own advice, but inherently, I'm not like the people I interview, I'm not a good trader. And one of the reasons is I'm the impatient person, which is a bad trade. So now, how do you get patience? Let's talk about when you're in a position, that's the easier answer. The, The answer there is have a good little cancel stop in a position. And you can raise it along the way if you're. I'm talking about a long position. Short, obviously, you can lower it along the way. But if you do that, you don't have to be tempted because, okay, you know, uh, yeah, wow, it's a big profit right away. Maybe you take part of it. I mean, you can take part of it. But you you then just have a stop on it. Even if it goes more, you can adjust that stop. So uh, if it's if you're if it's one of those trades that just keeps on going in the right direction uh, without big you know, reactions, then you can end up riding it. Where inherently, if you didn't have that approach, I mean, it's like a trailing stop idea. But if you didn't, you do that, then it becomes very difficult because it becomes more and more tempting to take it. And you'll never get a big move because you'll always grab it before the end. So using a a trailing type stop, not mechanical, like every time it goes, but, you know, I I do off of chart formations and whatever. Uh, But essentially, that's one way... To stay with a position or at least part of it, um, as far as the other side, patients away from prior trade, that's harder. Um, one thing is not to, not to look at the screen. Ironically, unless your approach requires it, uh, not to look at the screen too much, because as Ed Dakota said, when I asked him why he didn't have where was this, where was this, you know, where was this PC, uh, you know, where was this trading screen. And he said, well, he, he doesn't keep one um, in his office because if he, having a cork machine on your desk, paraphrasing, maybe it's exact, it says like having a slot machine, you keep on feeding your quarters all day. So <laughs> the idea is that you gotta avoid having, being tempted to just take these impulsive trades. And so maybe the best way to control that is, if you have a well enough defined methodology, you only take trades that fit that methodology. Avoid taking trades that are spur in the moment or, oh, wow, this looks good, you know, I'll take that, you know. I,
0: I wholeheartedly agree with that. In fact, that's another thing that we advise to our traders all the time is that uh, you gotta wait, wait for your strategy setups. We talk about having a trade book where you've got, um, uh, your trades sort of marked out. You know what your strategies are, and only when they fill the criteria do you take a trade. But as you pointed out, Jack, that's easier said than done, of course, because when you see the moving, you see the moving lines. Sometimes it gets tempting, right? You just want to smack yeah. the button. So, um, and and that leads to one of the conclusions that uh, that you you drew in the book about uh, about the patience, and and I love the way you laid it out with. Forty-six different conclusions you sort of had at the end that you drew from the eleven different interviews that you conducted with uh, the traders in uh, the in, in unknown market wizards. Um, there was a couple that really resonated with me, but I'm curious: were there any lessons that you found particularly notable that you would highlight? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, that's a cool I'm sure there, there were a number. Trying to think, who was Macey? I think yeah. In a, in a couple of the interviews, uh, like uh, Amrit Sal and um, and Dali, Daljit and uh, Richard, you know, they're they're taking larger positions than than they would be called whole, whole long term, but you know because they're going to get out very quickly, and it's the idea that. But they do it when there are very specific circumstances that set up a, a high, proper, you know, trade where they're highly confident. So this idea of if there's, a, if there's a, something that looks like it's really uh, a higher than normal probability and you can define a risk point that's very close, that you take a larger normal position. So that's, I guess, something that I, was, I would not have really been inclined to do before this book. I'm now more, more open to do that. Uh, you know, because uh, it combines the idea of, yeah, it may be a large and prudent position, but you have a very close stop on on a good part of it. So that idea is one that I can think of. And I mean, that, I, I'm sure there's other, I, I was slipping through here to the conclusion, I'm sure I'd come up with other ones, but having done these a number of times, I've gotten uh, similar lessons from other traders. So it's hard to get ones that are completely new. Uh, but the one I mentioned is one.
0: Yeah. Well, look, what, one that I wanted to point out was your lesson number 21, which has what I think is one of the single greatest lines in the book. And it says, if you hope a trade will work, get out. And yeah. you drew that partly from Amrit Sal, who he made a, he says there was like the seminal moment for him where he made a triple sized position in the hopes it would work. And I think he was trading for a firm at the time, and he said, well, he realized he, he had no strategy other than just hoping by increasing his size, it was going to work out and, and realized, you know, that and I used to have a boss that said, hope is not a strategy. Um, hope, yeah, and, and, hope is
1: an indicator, it's an indicator you should get out, he <laughs> said. It's than
0: It's a contrarian indicator, right? If you if you find yourself hoping, you're actually probably in a bad technical position. Um, So you know, eliminating hope. I don't know. I mean, how the heck do you eliminate hope? (laughs) At least.
1: Well, uh, you know, know, first of all, you need to be in this trade for reasons other than hope. You know, which this particular example you were citing was he was trying to make money back. And the only rationale for having this triple-sized position was was because he tried to make the money back, and therefore he's hoping the it works work. So, so right back, go right back to the source that the trade was not well just was not justified. Um, and the other thing is, uh, if you're if if you always if you have a risk point established, then you can prevent hope from you know causing too much damage.
0: It's a shame that hope causes damage, but I would agree. If it's not backed by, you know, a strong technical underpinning, it, it, it is it is problematic. It's problematic in your trading. Um, I have a quote here that uh, I wanted to read, and you start the book actually with a series of quotes. One of them, uh, again, resonated with me that uh, I'll just I'll just read for everybody. And it says that every decade has its characteristic folly, but the basic cause is the same. People persist in believing that what has happened in the recent past will go on happening into the indefinite future even while the ground is shifting under their feet again i, I reread that quote in the last couple of days uh because I, like we started talking about with gme and the stuff that's happening in the market yeah, it, it I, t- you know it's a good example yeah, of shifting exactly. ground
1: right so hey is going up a hundred dollars yesterday should go up uh, should go keep on going up a hundred dollars every day you know that's you know, it's kind of insane when you think about it, but that's how people think.
0: Yeah. You know, we, we, we as traders um, often talk about finding your edge, not only sort of what your style is and, and how you manage that, but, you know, do you have an edge? What makes you, uh, what gives you that opportunity to have a better than even chance, if you will, at winning? And, um, you know, it, people's edge can be lots of different things. In fact, in the book, I found lots of examples uh, any commonality to people's, you know, what that what that edge was, what differentiated them from the average trader? No, I mean it, it, there there
1: isn't commonality. The edge is really different, um, really really different. For when you look at each trader, the, you know, you think about, well, why are they making money? Um, right. It's completely different reasons, right? So you you have people like Brand who's combining charts and money management, people like Sal who are just excellent at picking, you know, uh, events where they have a really good eye. They're very good at determining which way the market's going to react to that event. Um, so you have completely, you know, uh, completely different methodologies. Uh, you know, Camillo, we mentioned with social media, uh, Newman, who started out penny stocks, of course, he's now made so much money. He's actually, uh, I think he was, he was 50 million profit. He turned a few thousand to 50 million when I interviewed him in the last right. year or so, since I interviewed him, a year and a half, he's <laughs> he's over a couple hundred million at this point. It's just like so story. So he, obviously he's gone from penny. He's still a little trade in these stocks, but you know, he also goes into you know a lot of other things. Uh, but he, but he, and his edge is just kind of picking up on these social, in a way like Camillo, but differently, just picking up on... Uh, trends before they be become trade-like. Three, great examples like 3D printing, you know, 3D printing comes out. So he gets familiar with everything about 3D. He orders every 3D printer. He, he talks to people at different companies. He's, he's, you know, try, he gets totally immersed in it. And this is in the very early stages. And he, he buys these stocks that go from one to a hundred, literally, uh, but he's very good at trading, of course. And he, he ends up getting out during the topping process. But the amazing thing I looked at these stocks he mentioned, you know, I looked at them and the typical profile, they go from a few bucks to like 80, 90, 100, whatever, and they went all the way back down again. So it's right. not that he, it's not that he actually predicted something was going to be a long term thing, but he, his particular style was then the big things very early get that big, big up push, and once it's popular, just get out of it. So you know, all different approaches. So you really do have to find your edge. And interestingly on edge, it doesn't have to be the type of thing that, that's really an, an edge in a way that people think of it. Sort of like go back to Peter Brand. Um, he will really admit, I mean, he uses charts. He uses charts totally, right. is his own report. He will completely admit to you that charts really don't have an edge. Uh, so how is he using something that doesn't have an edge uh, to make money? Well, because while well, charts generally speaking and patterns generally speaking don't have an edge, there are particular points in, in time where they do set up with a probability greater for a move in one direction than another, at the same point where a risk point can be defined that that interpretation is wrong at a fairly close level. So that's his. So his approach is to use something that he admits doesn't have an edge, but picking those points where there's a little bit of a greater probability of a move in one direction, and he can define his risk point very closely. And that so that becomes his edge. But there's nothing magical about it. Everybody can use close risk management. Everybody can try to define points on a chart where they think there's a higher probability. So. Um, you know, it's it's more a matter of of having a, having an approach which gives him significantly larger gains when he's right than when he's wrong, and never losing much in any trade. So his his main edge is that he loses 20, 25 basis points when he's wrong. That's his edge, you know.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, as you say, everybody's developing that that different approach, and I did love his style. How and, and and like you mentioned earlier about 3D printers, how you know someone decided that one of the traders decided his edge was personal experience. Right. So he bought a 3D printer. He tried it out. He would walk uh, in. There was a story of the uh, the the sponge that uh, right that, that as you said yeah. went up and then yeah. crashed when everybody realized it was basically all a marketing front.
1: And away. But he wasn't, it wasn't that he was participating in the pump and dump. He just right. noticed that hey insiders just bought a lot of the stock. He didn't even know what they did. They found out that the product was a, a sponge with soap in it. So he ordered it, and right. tried it and liked it, but but that stock then went from from penny, you know, from pennies, it started going, you know, five dollars, ten dollars, so I had get ridiculous numbers. So yeah. um, so you know he kind of in and noticing that his friends, because they advertise, they would advertise on sports programs, uh, you know, right. the logo we'd have a tennis match and it would be a SpongeTech logo across the field, something like that. You know, he, he, when he started seeing it, became popular, he sort of, you know, that's that was part of his input to get out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great some great timing on a couple of his trades for sure. As you said, getting out at the right time. So um, You know, we were talking a little bit about what was happening uh, right in the markets now. So, um, you know, I wanted to build on that, ask you, I've been around, I've been trading myself for 25 years now, certainly not with the depth of experience that you have, Jack, but I've seen a lot of, you know, uh, uh, cries of the death of the trader. Right. So back when, you know, I was trading and uh, we used uh, uh, teenies, right? Fractions of cents, And, you know, and we were using the the decimalization was going to kill trading and traders would never be able to have an edge. Then the computers came in and, oh, my God, computer-based trading was going to ruin everything. Um, Then we Mm -hmm. moved on. And, you know, the AI, which I would argue we still don't have real AI, but the, you know, sort of the algorithms were going to kill trading. And then I saw I saw sort of elements of that just in the last week when they're like, oh my God, social media and, you know, the, these unwashed masses of traders that are out there are going to ruin, you know, ruin the markets for everybody. It seems to me that the, the markets just evolved through that. But I'm curious, if you would gaze in your crystal ball, you know, is is there a future in trading for the next few decades? Or do you see a seminal event coming where, you know, we just won't have that opportunity to compete against the big boys or the, the heavy compute?
1: Well, the seminal
0: event is when AI... Gets
1: so advanced that it makes, trading, you know, that humans can't compete anymore. Um, now, there's an interesting analogy to uh, chess, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why it's well, it's similar, but it's very different, and that's the key. And it's a matter of timing. But um, you know, people get scared about this because you know, computer, computer power and AI has gotten so, it's gotten so extreme. That it seems like wow how can we compete against that and and um, somebody this, I don't know people you know, heard from Adam Robinson who's kind uh, of he, he was he's, he's a chess master he's uh, he advises in many hedge funds he has a lot of smart things to say um, on my Twitter feed you can find some interviews that I recommended uh, but he kind of had this brilliant uh, thing where he You know the the story he goes into because he's a chess master himself, and he said, like originally, you know, we all know, most of us know, like uh, IBM's program Deep, uh, I guess Deep Blue, whatever, where it beat that that Aspar, I think it was, or whoever was was a a chess master, and you know now it's gotten to the point where I mean the you know the best the best chess player in the world was I guess Charles Magnus he says like, we'd lose like 95 out of 100 games, you know, now the program has gotten so so strong. But so he said, the interesting thing was those programs got so strong just studying human games. And he said, then another team started doing throughout the human games, and they let the computer using AI technology play itself. And, you know, it can play itself millions of games very quickly, and very quickly, that program became way more powerful than than the other program. So it's it's beyond belief how strong this program is. Just by giving it the rules and letting it develop itself. So something like that's It's any if you know I you know if anybody plays chess can appreciate this. Some of the winning games that it, it, he called Adam Ramsey said the computer was doing what he called alien chess. In, in other <laughs> words, it would win things like no human, you know, would. Neither novice nor master would ever do it like right. something when he games the computer was moving the king into the middle of the chessboard which is like <laughs> which is like the first thing you would say you know keep your keep right. protected never. and yet that was end up being the winning strategy and so that's kind of scary when you think about how it is now having maybe scared your audience about wow this is going to wipe out trading here's the big difference between chess and markets um chess there is like an you know extraordinary amount of different combination moves and all that okay but there's two things about chess that are very different about the markets. first of all the rules you know the rules don't change um, and that's a really big one in other words the pieces always move the same way it's not like sometimes a knight is going to go go 2 and 1 and sometimes it's going to go 3 and 1 and sometimes it's going to go yeah you know, the, the, the rules stay the same where in markets, think about it i mean sometimes bonds will go in the same direction as s p you know as the equity sometimes they will go opposite direction sometimes there'll be no correlation Uh, sometimes certain things are important in the markets sometimes you know uh they become totally unimportant so it's like the rules or the you know the cause and effects are constantly changing so that's that makes it tremendously tremendously more complex than chess um and and the other thing is there's just a lot more types of things you know in chess there's a there's you know a certain number of pieces there's a board that's you know 64 squares you know it's all contained it's all well defined in markets you have all these different countries with all their different economic policies with you know humans with their emotions which you know human emotions are not like like planetary physics or you know they, they change, uh, you know, uh, and there's no telling how far they're going to go, uh, you know. So there, there are things th- about trading that make it much more complex for those basic reasons of so many more inputs and the inputs and their cause and effect are changing what they mean to the markets that I think puts, puts it safely distant in terms of, even with the tremendous advances, of it being of the the markets being solved, you know, and I mean, so maybe someday, if that, that ever happens, if it ever happens, we ever get to that point, then the efficient market hypothesis will finally be right, you know. Early, <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I well, it, it's that's a good perspective, and I hope you're right because I do like I would like to see another few decades of trading out there I think that would be good uh, but I, I honestly do think like true AI is is still a couple of decades off and like you said the complexity of the market is such that uh, it's it's tough to put a system around it isn't it we, we haven't managed yet so,
1: so yep good I mean, it's,
0: it's a- yeah it's a it's it's a tough engine I wanted to ask you one last question Jack and and uh, I'm really interested in your perspective on this and um, when when we uh, I say we like in the Bearable Traders room, you know, it was founded by a guy Andrew Aziz who's a fantastic trader, and I've noticed his style evolving over time. Where if you look at the way he trades now, it's almost unrecognizable to, to the way he started. Uh, it, to me, that also re- you know resonated with a lot of the traders in your book, where and, and actually some of your previous books, where I noticed everybody seems to have this this evolution that is. Um, spiked. I guess at certain points, but it's not necessarily an aha moment because it might happen over a period of time. But looking back, they can say, you know what, I realize this is the thing that 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 changed my uh, my trading. What I'm getting to in a question is, um, you know, when I look back at my own career, I find there's there's moments that are more meaningful now that I look upon them than I realized they were at the moment. If you were to talk to a trader who's starting out, how would you say? How would you advise that they? identify those moments, because they're going to happen. You know, is it just regular, you know, sitting back, looking at the clouds and sort of, you know, reminiscing about your trading journey? Or is there a better way you can sort of help realize the things that made a difference to you such that you can accentuate them going forward to further accelerate your success?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and actually in in Unknown Market Wizards, as well as other Market Wizards books, this theme comes up repeatedly, and that is the idea of keeping a trading log. Of uh, you know, yeah. Would you do when you have a trade? Would you do something right? Yeah. But most importantly, when you do something wrong, and and I would stress here, doing something wrong is not because you lost money. It's because you had a methodology and you deviated from it. And you know what that mistake was. That's really that's really the test of something is right or wrong. And um, but, you know some of the traders, in his, I think one trader, I think it was uh, well Richard, uh, uh, I think Amrit also came out with the you know came up with this like binder, literally mm-hmm. thousands of pages where they they've like recorded everything of consequence and review it uh, on a weekly and monthly and even in, in the annual basis. So the idea is you can't you learn from those situations where, particularly where you made a mistake, so if a similar thing comes up again, you won't make the same mistake. So it's impossible to eradicate all mistakes in trading, but what is not impossible is reducing the mistakes. And this idea of learning from your mistakes and improving your methodology based upon that is why Critical comes up again and again. Uh, A lot in this book, but I can think also, like in Hedge Fund Market Wizards, Ray Dalio, Where if Ray Dalio has a philosophy, uh, a key philosophy, it is learn learn from your mistakes.
0: Well, you know what? So I appreciate that to everyone listening. If you're a bearables trader, I I promise you this was unscripted. So the fact that I didn't know how Jack was going to answer, that he told you basically to journal your trades, which we tell you guys every single day, I'll slip you 20 bucks later, Jack, <laughs> but uh, but I do think that's extremely important that, you know, if you journal your trades, keep a log, as you said, whatever you do, keep a record of what you've done and uh, not only the, the physical aspect, but ha- what you were thinking at the time, what you were feeling. There's lots of things that can go into your trading decisions that you may not. You may not realize they're important at the time, but the reflection brings the importance to it, or you start to notice trends. Jeez, you know, we were talking about this in the room yesterday. I think somebody, uh, uh, one of our uh, moderators, Mike, was saying he noticed that the day after he'd been drinking the night before, his win rate was like 20% or something. So you know what? Probably a good idea. Don't trade after you've had a nice evening of drinks. So (laughs) things like that. There you go. So for everybody, you know what? Pick up the book. Um, Un- Known Market Wizards is available at your local bookseller, or of course online at Amazon or anywhere. So uh, please uh, take a look at it, pick it up. Jack, I don't know if you're planning to write another one, but uh, we have someone we'd want to recommend. Uh, <laughs> Andrew's had a great trading run; cool to see him in the book. But anyways, so that's a shameless plug. Well, yeah, thanks so much for I have, being here. I
1: have another book, but it happened, so you know.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I think I you to- said it's. You said at the beginning of this one, you had no intention of writing another one, right? And then this one happened, yeah. so, <laughs> who knows? Well, thanks again. Have a great rest of your day and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Hey, Take care, thanks. Um...